It's Sunday. You're listening to FabRadioInternational.com or possibly the Starburst podcast. That means you're listening to The Bookworm. And I'm your host, Ed Fortune, and I'm here with... Del. Hiya. Hello. So uh, we're going to be talking about books because the show is called The Bookworm and we do that. Um, and coming up, I'll be talking about Genevieve Cogman's great name because it's a steampunk book, uh, The Invisible Library. Um, and Del? And I'll be talking about The Girl With All The Gifts by M.R. Carey. And coming up next, the news. Well, book news. Across the world, 24 hours a day. So, uh, the start of the show, uh, in case you've never listened to us before, and if, if so, where have you been? Um, if you haven't listened to the show before, or even if you have, you can contact us on social media via Radio Bookworm. Go on to social media, whatever it is, type in Radio Bookworm, you'll find us. So, uh, the BBC are to adapt a Robert Galbraith novel. Who's Robert Galbraith, you say? It's J.K. Rowling wearing a mask. <laughs> um, in disguise. With a hat on. With Stuff. a hat on. Um, in case you've forgotten, J.K. Rowling tried to release a bunch of books um, in disguise. No, no, to be fair, she did release a bunch of books in disguise. And then some idiot and it was doing And it was doing quite well, but I don't think it was doing as well as they maybe had hoped for. And then some idiot blabbed, and I've put that in speech marks. Good radio. Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> well, you see, I, I actually I genuinely think, given the fact that she's a billionaire, that she probably just did it. Yeah, you can yes, see. she is, but the individual publishers aren't, and they're probably on a bonus. Yeah, that's a fair Just point. Just saying. <laughs> uh, that is, in fact, a fair point. But obviously we, we are speculating wildly and have no basis or facts. They either. were being well-received, though, weren't they? Oh, yeah. Just... Yeah, they were doing all right. Yeah. They were doing all right. They just, you know, weren't Harry Potter levels, which I think is understandable. Yeah. Because that is just a, you know, once-in-a-lifetime phenomenon. Yeah, that's, that's a special. Mm. I do find it difficult to believe that, you know, Agencies that are all about exclusivity, and I believe it was, I believe it was a lawyer or some such, you know, some some yeah, professional who blabbed, and you're just like, surely your job is not to keep is to keep secrets. You're paid money to keep secrets, so even if it's, you know, this is not a huge kind of world altering secret. This is not the sort of thing that you should just blab at a dinner dinner party. Mm. But but anyway, so uh, yes, we can be suspicious about the the, the whole way it's been handled. Anyway, the BBC, who are always keen to give you high-quality content and also stuff that they can sell quite easily, <laughs> um, are adapting a comment strike that does sound like you know something that happens to an airplane. Uh, a J.K. Rowling's comment strike will be turned... Detective uh, novels will be turned into a series of BBC adaptations. I'm more excited by the River, Rivers of London adaptations that are coming because um, they should be good. Please be good. Please be good. Please be good. Um, I'm not that excited by more detective drama. If it was, no. if it was like a BBC TV series that was Harry Potter, you mm. know, Snape, the early years, something like <laughs> that, then then I'd be all over it. But her detective stuff, I've not read. Um, I don't know that many people who have. Uh, hence, you know, maybe why it was blabbed. But yes, uh, the casual <laughs> vacancy um, will appear as a Freeport serial in uh, February. Um, 
So they are just doing all of them. So they're just all doing of the all of them, all of the things, all the things with J.K. Rowling's name on. Could be good. Well, we'll, we'll see. Um, in, other, in other book news, McDonald's has exceeded its book target giveaway. It's given away 22 million children's books. Um, well with, done, McDonald's. Well done, so McDonald's. That's clever. This is McDonald's, the, the Golden Arches fast food yes. outlet. Yeah, that do free fruit on Fridays. Yeah. They're helping on the, the first world. of the month or something. So, yeah, uh, essentially as part of the Happy Meals, you can get books. So and as, as oh they're in the Happy Meals yeah oh I thought it was like a community outreach thing so like they were going places and like giving oh no presumably to... got to buy the product ah uh, yeah no, oh that's not really giving them away then is it really? um, I think it's part of part of the whole whole kind of Happy Meals Kobo thing. offered free digital downloads of Happy Meals uh, reading the last page of your news article so it's still not necessarily reaching reaching out to the the kids who aren't reading or buying books because if it's an e-code then they have to have computer access at least oh well done mcdonald's but you know at least (laughs) it's it's, you know it's it is a nice idea um but that potentially just wasn't like i i i I was actually genuinely impressed and now i've actually just thought it's a bit silly um it's kind of exciting it's just you know yeah we we, i can see Mm. why in a Happy Meal, you wouldn't want to give away the Hungry, hungry Caterpillar because it's a big square oblong <laughs> that doesn't quite fit in the... In the little, mm. little cardboard box. And, and we've done the thing where the, the bookworm, as part of Fabio International, has given away books. Mm. And we, we do... We're doing another one in April as part of World Book Day. But it is a pain in the bottom to, to look... Because they're big blocks of wood, pretty much. You know, they're, they're pulped, processed blocks of wood. Moving books around takes up a lot of space and is difficult to do but if you it, t- it takes up space i yeah i get that um but they're having the toys delivered that's true. anyway the, the delivery is already happening well they're a major toy retailer because of the toys yeah even though they're a fast food chain they're a major the major toy retailer so yeah no i see your point that you should be able to design you could custom print books that just sit in the bottom of the box yeah you? well the cereal used to do it there were, I, I had quite like um, I think some of my roll dolls were there were books that came in in cereal. Just mm. just Mister Men sized as well. You could do yeah. Mister Men sized kind of. You absolutely could. They do could the, do Mister Men. And do the thing with the spine as well, so you get a picture. And <gasps> then, then, but then also that means you have to run out and buy as many cheeseburgers as you can. <laughs> but I think they maybe that that's a, a, an area that they could be looking at moving into next is just doing book outreach if the program's working and if these codes are actually being used then yeah people it means that the kids who eat mcdonald's want to read but there are some kids who can't access those things so maybe they, that should be their next step is to start doing donations talking about ebooks uh new readers um kobo kobo knows which novels you haven't finished <laughs> That's actually the news story. The news story should be um, like a breakdown of what people are reading. But I think for most people, it's like, hang on, Kobo, know what I'm reading? Oh my god! Um, so, Donna Tartt. Can I just can I just check? I believe you said when we were all travelling into the show today that you've got one of the fan fiction sites on your Kobo. I, I have a fan fiction site on my Kindle. On your Kindle, okay. So that's not as bad because basically. Otherwise, what we're saying is they can tell what porn you've been reading. <laughs> or not finishing. Yes. Or, or not no. oh, they, didn't, they didn't finish that porn. <laughs> um, oh. This was not what they were looking for. <laughs> Assume anything you've done on the internet can be found. 
always, always assume that anything you've done on the internet, unless you've gone Clears through... browser history. Unless you've gone through <laughs> extraordinary measures to ensure that you haven't, um, and they are fairly difficult and extraordinary me- measures, and um, while I'm not reading books and uh, writing about books and uh, writing news- newspaper articles and all the rest of it, one of the things I have done in the past is computer security. Um, <laughs> and computer security is one of those things that's quite important, and you have to... If you really want to keep secrets, you should. You, you really need to keep on it. Uh, the thing is, your shield is apathy. No one cares what you're reading. Most no. people oh, don't yeah. But it's also... It's just... It's genuinely useless data. Unless you have a box that pops up that says, why didn't you finish this book? Which is completely pointless. No. What you, all it's saying is, the person hasn't... Has, has re- it all, the, the data isn't saying, this person stopped reading this. The data is just, this is where they've read to. Because I've got books that I read over the period of years. I've been reading Master and Margarita since 2006. I'm still reading it. Like it's it's not that I'm I don't like it and it's not that I'm not interested. It's just that I tend to read several books at once and sometimes yeah, some of them just don't get picked up for a long time. You see, I I kind of disagree because Dantart's The Goldfinch was put down prematurely by 55% of ebook readers, which means that people bought it because it was Dantart, bought it because it was had lots of advertising and was well publicized. Got halfway through, which is a decent effort, you know, halfway through you've you 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 you've soldiered on there, and then you've stopped. So either, uh, you know, from a marketing perspective, I'd be sitting there going, "Well, okay, well they've bought the book, but does that mean they're going to buy the next Donatart? Are they going to sit there and think, well, I didn't finish first the, that one, so I'm just not going to buy the next one, mm. and therefore have less expectations?" With large numbers, yeah, that kind of you you can start to make assumptions, but I'll you, just write half can't... a book. <laughs> Well, the rest of it, the rest of it, <laughs> ham. Because I mean, for all we know, like that could have been, that could just be a massive holiday reading book, but it's the second or third book you take with you, and the holiday ran out. Yeah, yeah. Like, and that's like large numbers of people don't finish their holiday reading. The other thing that doesn't take into account for, and I certainly do this, is I will have the e version and I will have the physical version. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll have the physical version, and the physical version will, will sit in my bag. And I have no problem with leaving an actual real book on the side of it, you know, on, on the poolside um, while I'm doing stuff and lounging around. Because mm. if I lose it, I lose it. You know, it's six quid. If I lose my e reader, well, that's a whole catalogue of books I've lost. I've just lost the library. Yeah. Um, so I'm a little but... bit more careful with. E- e- I'm very careful with books, general lesson. Honestly, I am, but they do get, you know, I do go through a lot of them and they do get dog-eared. Being a bibliophile, I've just, you've you've broken my heart a little bit. The idea of like, just, oh, if I lose it, I lose it. Because I get really attached to the actual physical story. It's like, this is the one that I fell in love with. This is the one that's taken me on this journey. It's you and me book. It's us against the world. I'll be sad, but, But, you know, compared compared to the potential... Losing losing one book, that's a bit sad. Yeah. Losing a library, that's <laughs> that that, yeah. that will make me more than a bit. Sad. I think it's just because I'm not I'm not an ebook user really. I've got cer- I had I have certain digital books. Like I think when I read Jane Eyre, I did similar to that. I had Jane Eyre paper and Jane Eyre on my um, iPod. 
because it was just easier to get my iPod on the train. Um, and then, yeah, I was like switching between the two and stuff. But normally, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very attached to actual physical books. I, I realised my, my crazy book ladiness this, uh, this week. I went to Waterstones to pick up a big um, Christmas present order that I had in. Um, and then I was going to meet my friend um, on the other side of Manchester and I was walking along and it was quite crowded because um, it's Manchester and I felt my book bag like like it, it basically it got bashed and I was like someone's just kicked my books and as as I kind of as it happened and as I registered the voice behind me just went oh I'm very sorry and I just went and I, I, I thought it was in my head but it obviously wasn't and I just went you've just kicked my books looked up and the guy like hoodie long hair um quite an alternative guy the guy just went I've never kicked a book in my life and I went well, you'll always remember your first time won't you <laughs> <laughs> and then just wandered off but I kind of was you know when you're like I'm laughing oh, so you don't feel that. bad but, but <laughs> you, you, you they're see, not even for me and I'm sad you see I, I do my best to try and look after well, one of the things one of the hazards I think of doing a lot reading lots of books and having sent stuff by publishers is the two books I have in my hand right now are both advanced reader copies mm. which means on the one hand I get to read them before you nah, 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 nah. On, the <laughs> other hand, on, on the other hand um, they are produced in a way that is slightly less robust yeah so so I've, I've got a copy of The Iron Ghost and The Spines Bending and the reason The Spines Bending is because I've loved it dearly I've read it really quickly and also because it's not a commercial binding um, yeah, it, it, it's not so. You know, I really, I should really, 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 really look after them, but that means I can't go out of the house. <laughs> so th- there is that. That is in my future, definitely. I have a special way of packing my bag if I'm taking actual books with me, so that they will never like get hurt. I'm a, I'm clearly a barbarian. Um, <laughs> yeah, you are. And it's talking about the care of books and looking after books. I think coming up next I'll talk about the Invisible Library. We'll talk about books. <laughs> Hello, general listener. Hello, crazy listener. Hello, listener. Anyway, I've got to stop using that gag. <laughs> I was reading The Invisible Library by Genevieve Cogman. And I absolutely loved it. There's a very short How review. did you see it? Oh, I, 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 hey. I, 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 use, my, I use my special librarian powers because <sighs> that's what it's, this book's about. So, the Invisible Library is a pan-dimensional library that lurks between alternate realities. That's the setup. This vast library, huge, huge, huge library, um, full of all the books from all the worlds. Not just one world, but all the worlds. Um... And it's it's a force of order. So you have this huge library, and you have the, its agents, the librarians, who live there. And we open up in the book. Uh, Irene is described as, disguised herself as a cleaner, um, and she's spent the last two weeks being unnoticed by essentially this very posh kind of Oxford University style institution. And you know she's a cleaner. She's a cleaner. She's a cleaner. Um, and then she goes into the library steals this this obscure tomb on necromancy which is a bunch of essentially what i did in my holidays by en necromancy <laughs> grabs it 
realizes that probably this world being slightly magical has got the the library itself charmed grabs the book runs out the door the alarm goes off obviously this activates the building's goggles that then chase her um she does the thing of like oh i think they went that way which lasts for about two minutes and then there's a bunch of you know there's a bunch of goggles and there's a bunch of students in their caps chasing after her and she runs around the corner activates the librarian powers and gets herself to the alternate the the, the the invisible library which lurks between worlds and that's how we start that's the blistering start uh, and there's this wonderful moment where she goes gee I do hope I, I end up somewhere somewhere in the library that I can get to easily because the library is so vast that sometimes when people transport themselves in using their librarian powers they um, when they transport themselves in using their librarian powers sometimes they just get trapped in somewhere that's like mile days or weeks or years away from actual civilization like miles below in the basement this sort of thing and that's alluded to but it doesn't happen because that would be a boring novel <laughs> so Irene is a relatively junior librarian and she carries the mark of the library what this means is that she understands a thing called the language which has got capital letters and it like means all capital letters which it, is it's the T capitalized, capitalized oh, the okay. language Amazing. Um, and the language allows her to tell things what to do. Uh, in it goes in bold. And she's talking in bold. Everyone understands what you're saying in the language, even though it's you know the universal tongue. And she can turn around and say things like microphone turn off. This should be bad for me right now. Uh, obviously, I'm not a librarian. <laughs> you don't have the mark. I don't have the mark of the library. Um, hats move and this sort of thing and the more she can tell things to do things that they're likely to do so you can tell um the microphone to turn off you can tell the microphone to make lots of sound you can't tell the microphone to go and dance because it'll just wobble a bit and fall over it'll try but the less likely you 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 know the less likely the thing if you tell people people will do the thing but the you know it's not mind control you can go Go and make me a cup of tea, and they'd be like, "Why am I making you a cup of tea? Hang on, what? <laughs> I mean, if you told me to do it, I'd just do it because I make people cups of tea all the time. But if you didn't like making cups of tea, and you're like, make me a cup of tea, they'd be like, I'm making a cup of tea, but I'm not happy about this. I don't understand why. The sort of thing. So, so that kind of doesn't kind of work. Ed, make me a cup of tea later. Uh, <sighs> so, so we've got. <laughs> so, so that's the setup. Um, Irene is then sent on a very dodgy mission into a place that's infested by chaos and she's like oh it's infested by chaos the library stands for order so she's like oh I don't like this this whole infested by chaos thing but you know it's part of my job and there's two forces for order in the alternate realities in the, in the multiverse the library and dragons <laughs> dragons turn up and just Dragons turn up and just like, oh, it's a chaos infestation, burn. Uh, or librarians turn up and go, oh, it's a chaos infestation. We'll we'll just turn that reality off and we'll try and pretend it's not there. Or like, we'll avoid it. Um, the more chaos, the more magic you have in the world. The more order, the more science you have in the world. When you get a mix that is a little bit saucy, what you get is steampunk. So this world she goes to is a steampunk world, which is full of fairies. Uh, there's a Zeppelin company. Um, that, that the Lichtenstein, I believe it's Lichtenstein. There's one of the comments where it's like, it's always high of a Lichtenstein of Belgium. Why is it always high of a Lichtenstein of Belgium? <laughs> and the Lichtenstein, um, Zeppelin Company is basically ran by fairies. There's a fairy mafia going on there, and there's this one, there's this one book that I mean is sent in to get 
which is a book of fairy tales, obviously. Um, and she's sent in with uh, with an office junior, another trainee. She's giving this trainee a nice, nice, well turned out man, very charming man called Kai. He clearly has a mysterious past, almost uh... in capital letters. You know, he's a young, broody gentleman with a mysterious past. One of those. One of those characters. Mysterious past man. Um, as you can probably tell, I really enjoyed it. It's a blistering book. Um, the writing style is... You, you, know, you know how sometimes the idea is greater than the actual um, the, the writing skill? Mm, yes. Um, that's definitely a thing here. She just about manages to pack it all in. But the, the story's compelling enough that you... You can get through it. Yeah, it's fine. Okay. Um, the writing could be stronger, but I, I hope she writes more. It's oh, good. Thing. It's one of those things where this is a debut novel, so I, I, you, 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 oh, lovely. You, you just give you know, I, I total, total give it on the buy because you know it's it's good to begin with. It'll get better if there's yeah. more of these. It'll get better. It's definitely got deb- it's got debut novel written all over it. <sighs> Hopefully, they haven't used all the ideas up in one book. Oh. Okay. Um, because I, I I really do look forward to the sequel, um, very much. Essentially, the first half is is this this half of it is this brilliant idea in this brilliant world. The other one is your standard steampunk style adventure with steampunk nonsense going on. Um, so if you, you know, if you like giant clockwork robots, the zeppelins, sinister fairies, uh, cat burglars, um, cyborg alligators. If you like that sort of thing, and I certainly do, then you'll like the Invisible Library. Um, the concept itself is it's just strong enough. Um, there's a little bit of I get a little bit of touch of the role playing game about it in certain points where you sit there and you go, "Hang on, that's a very well worked out power. That's someone who's clearly worked rolled dice." <laughs> but you know, George R. R. Martin plays D and D, so you know that's not really a criticism. It's just sometimes oh, you can no. see the world building. Um, I think we all, we all get different inspirations, don't we? Like, if that's where yours comes from. Great fun. Oh, and there's a Sherlock Holmes uh, analogue as well, who's thrown in for, for good measure as well. Uh, Mr. Vale, he is very serious. Um, but obviously Sherlock Holmes is a fictional character, Mr. Vale is a real person or something. Um, I had an awful lot of fun. Um, that's The Invisible, Invisible Library by Genevieve Cockman. It's available on Pan Macmillan. Um, tour, the tour imprint, pretty much. Um, yeah, it's out in January. Oh, silent squeeze, good for radio. <laughs> squeeze, squeeze, squeeze. Across the world. So, um, a bit of an interesting interview, this one. Um, myself and producer Al ran off to <laughs> Wales last week to see, to, to see this movie called... What was it called? The Hobbit? It was, it was, it was The Hobbit, yeah. yeah. Uh, you probably, last Sunday. 
you probably haven't heard of it. Um, but yes, we went to see it before you did. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're special. Not because we're special. Um, because some, because somebody asked us very nicely if we would like to go. <laughs> and the person who asked us very nicely was Royd Tolkien. And that's the great-grandson of uh, J.O.R. Tolkien. Um, and he was there to raise money for motor neuron disease. Um, and you'll find out that the whole backstory as to why. Um, but we had a cracking time and Void is completely lovely. So coming up next, an interview with Void Tolkien. Amazing. Embrace the alternative. This, this is Fab Radio International. So Void Tolkien, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. So uh, can you tell us a little bit about why we're here in the event itself? Yes, we're here. Um, the main reason is, is my brother has motor neuron disease and um, last year I, I put this event on with only a week's notice so it was somewhere that he could travel to, local um, and we thought we'd just, you know, I've got a week to organise it we'll throw a little thing together, make it a family and friends I got a few gifts for the goodie bag and then this year I thought, you know what, I'll, I've got a little bit more time so I'll do something a little bit bigger and try and raise as much money as possible um, it's to raise awareness for motor neuron disease and it's to raise money for the Neurotherapy Centre, which is a local support and treatment centre, and also the um, Nightingale House Hospice. And those are unbelievable places that help and support not only people that need it, but also carers. And, and so it's really just to kind of give something back to them because they help my brother so much and, and, are, and are wonderful people. So. And the event is that we've just seen um, a premiere of... Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's, there was that as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, um, I contacted Warner Brothers and asked if I could have um, permission to do a preview screening. Um, and they said absolutely. And, um, and the filmmakers, Peter Fran and Philippa, um, also agreed. And they, they, they know my brother as well. And, you know, we both travelled to New Zealand and met Peter. And I've known Peter and that whole gang of fantastic people for years now um, and so everyone was incredibly supportive so I got the permission to show this um, Hobbit the latest Hobbit Battle of the Five Armies um, and they did greetings before some of the cast and Peter did a greeting and and then I've got um, goodie bags that people wonderfully have donated um, New Zealand companies like Whitaker's Chocolate and uh, Icebreaker and the publishers Harper Collins put some uh, uh, supplied some postcards and some books and um, Warner Brothers supplied some Hobbit t-shirts tons of stuff and the silent auction is to raise money as well and I had people like Ed Sheeran and Ian McKellen supply various bits and pieces this will probably come across as a quite strange question mm. but what is it like to be Part of a legacy that pretty much founded an entire genre. Um, kind of unbelievable, really, because um, things like this, that you know, this event tonight, or the premiere that I went to Monday, just gone in London, and the after party, all the stars and whatnot, um, doesn't happen all the time. It's my life is a very quiet life, and and actually, as it happens, my life is now spent caring for my brother with motor neuron disease so that's that's what I do seven days a week um, so outside of that when these things happen um, it's not a usual occurrence for me 
but they're great. Um, but to be part of it all, I generally don't normally think about it. It's just, you know, it's always been there for me. So, you know, it was, it's been there obviously before the films came along. What the films have done have made it sort of much more upfront and public, which is fantastic. Um, but for me, it's always been there, and it kind of, even though these films have ended, and it's, you know, it is one last time for this last film that's come out. You know, that that has ended that that journey, but then this still continues for me as well. And um, you know, it's a strange one. I don't, you know, it's like, I just. Is, is there anything of the Tottenham legacy that you would like to see done in a different way? Not necessarily a movie, but is there any other form of involvement that you would love to be? Connected to that particular legacy. Um, you mean as in in, in adaptations of yeah. different works? Well, that's a tricky one because um, the only um, Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, as the rights were sold, so there's nothing else that's been out there. And um, I I may have my little secret um, wish list of things. But, um, you know, I think we all kind of think that way as well, possibly. But whether it would ever happen is possibly unlikely, I would imagine. It's that this is a decision that is, um, yeah. Last time, <laughs> last time we, talked, we were talking about a series of um, a, a, kind of, a kind of bucket list project. Where was that going next? What, what should yeah. we expect? So, yeah, that, that idea is still there. Um, and, and initially that was going to be something that, you know, my brother and I would go on, but he's <clears throat> he's really not very well now. So <clears throat> it's taken a bit of a... Um, it's taken a back seat. Um, he has drawn up a list of 50 things. No idea what's on that list. So, and, and I mean, the idea is, is to go to New Zealand and me to sort of face my fears as he faces his and is facing his every second of his life so if I have to do a crazy bungee jump that's fine but I know what else he's done I did the ice bucket challenge he wanted to do the ice bucket challenge which is the ALS ice bucket challenge which raised an enormous amount of money for motor neuron disease and he wanted to do it and of course he didn't just want me to throw water so it, it's on YouTube um, so he made me wear a dress and pour water over me and then he did it himself and I had to eat a chilli as well <laughs> so I was just thinking I was going to throw water on me and, and actually Mike you know, had his breathing mask off and did it himself in his chair so it was amazing <laughs> <laughs> what effect did the chilli have? I was, oh god it was, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was horrible I don't <laughs> like spicy food you know so I, just, I generally don't eat spicy food and at these it was just it blew my face off instantly as soon as I bit into it it was, it, yeah, it was horrible and, and I, I was wearing a dress and getting water thrown over me loads of water but um, you know the idea of doing things like that it is I would literally I don't care if it puts a smile on his face or does something I don't care what I you know if, if I'm a bit inconvenienced or you know it's out of my comfort zone so what look at my brother what he's going through so you know so if I was a, a Tottenham fan listening to this <clears throat> and I wanted to do something for motor neuron disease, what would you suggest? Um, there is the uh, Motor Neuron Disease Association, which is, uh, th they have a website, um, and any donations can go onto there. You can, you know, find their donations paid 
uh, uh, page on that website. Um, it, it's raising awareness. It's, it's people talking about it. It spreads the news. And that ALS, ALS Ice Bucket Challenge was a, an unbelievable way of raising awareness in a, in a fun kind of way. And all the stars that got behind it was amazing. So if, if people that are hearing this and don't really know anything about ALS or motor neuron disease, then a Google will give you that information, um, you know, and you'll be able to find if it's, you know, in this country, it's the Motor Neuron Disease Association. In America, there's another society which uh, any sort of Google search. And if, and if, you know, it sort of touches you in the way that, you know, hopefully you'd want to do something, then donate because you know that there's you know it's a very very worthy cause and if you saw or you know someone that's gone through this you know how unbelievably heartbreaking it is to be completely locked and you know kind of unable to do a thing and steering back onto um, the subject of books yeah what is it that you read and what is it that you enjoy um now i enjoy tolkien i really do and i still you know, I, I read The Hobbit when I was about nine and Rings when I was about 11 and, you know, and occasionally still keep reading them. Um, you know, and I still, I watch the films and it doesn't put me off reading the books and that's wonderful. And, and other works, Father Christmas Letters, you know, what, um, but other, other authors for me is uh, Neil Gaiman, massive Neil Gaiman fan, all of his books, can't wait till they get published. And the latest one, I think it was The Ocean at the End of the Lane, brilliant, like knocked it out of the park. I also really like foraging, living off the land types of books. So, and and those type of cookery programs like Hugh Fernan Whittingstall, anything he's done, River Cottage series, um, anything like that, really. So, so survival, living off the land, yeah. Um, and some, some some daft questions we tend to ask mm, everyone. Yeah. I'm always intrigued to find out how they answer. <laughs> so, firstly, if you were stuck on a desert island and you only had one book for company. What would the book be? <laughs> oh, that's, oh, now that's a tough, blimey. One book on a desert island. You know, oh, it, it would have to be something practical. It would have to be some form of survival book. You know, Ray Mears Island Survival that would teach you how to build a shelter and find fresh water. It would have to be something like that. Which I read them anyway. Let's assume, let's assume that we have a, a beer tree and a banana tree <laughs> and a convenient hut. What else would... Oh, what some, would oh, my word. Some book that I would... You know, as, as obvious as it sounds, I, I would probably have to take along a copy of Rings because, you know, if you're in that environment you, and you don't want to be there, I kind of would, you know, I'd imagine after a... You know, a, a few months of being on this island. If I'm going to be there for a long time, I'd want to escape. And what better way to escape than would be into the sort of luscious, rich landscape of Middle Earth through reading the books? Uh, and three very uh, silly quick fire questions yeah. to end. All right. Firstly, um, Simpsons or Futurama? Simpsons. Elves or dwarves? Ooh, elves. Elves are hot. <laughs> not, you know, not all elves, but. <laughs> and, and finally, truth or beauty? Truth or beauty? Oh, I'm so uh, shallow. Beauty, no, truth. Hey, thank you. Th and thanks for coming. No problem at all. Yeah, uh, now go and donate. This is Fab Radio International. 
Uh, and that was the rather lovely Roy Totley. Um, we should probably say, if it's not obvious, we were recording it in the foyer of a theatre very late last <laughs> Sunday evening, which is why there's quite a lot of background noise as people left, just trailing past us. <laughs> well, I interviewed him for Starburst earlier, the, earlier in the year, and that was in um, that was in the middle of a convention, in the quietest part of the convention chamber. Quiet. And the the table is. Uh, the reason we, we went had another shot at doing a, a recording was because the sound on the first time we did it was just phenomenally bad. You could just couldn't hear either of us. So I've, I've left in my kind of soft voice there because Roy's voice carries much more clearly. You can work out what I'm saying. Um, yeah. I enjoyed a hot man calling elves hot. No, no. <laughs> Nothing. You can't be that hot and then still think other things are hot. You, you, you have broken hot. <laughs> Anyway, Dan, you have, a, you have a book to review. Everyone Google him now. <laughs> um, he's so brilliant. He's got a Twitter feed. Picture on the Twitter feed. Yeah. Uh, also, I believe himself. he's on our Twitter feed as well, is he not? Um, uh, uh, so you've certainly um, retweeted the pictures taken by somebody last Sunday. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> But I know, Look at his face. And obviously, if you are looking for something to donate to charity to, then Motor Neuron Disease is an excellent choice. Um, but yes, we are fans of Freud. He is a very lovely man. Thank you, and thank you very much to him for his time. Uh, we have a book. You have, you have a book to review. Shall I we get do have a book to show? review. I really need to compose myself to do it. Oh, yes. Okay, I will stop being flustered and giggly and start actually talking about books. Um, today I'm going to be talking to you about uh, The Girl With All The Gifts by M.R. Carey. I loved it so much. Um, there's certain... Generally, if I'm if I'm selecting a book, I will tend to just stand in, to be honest, the science fiction and fantasy section, and I will look at... And it's that... People say don't judge a book by its cover, but actually certain covers give you quite a good indication of what you're about to look at. You can tell from a cover whether something is a I have a sword and I'm a man on my own, but now I love someone, or if it's going to be like this is about kingdoms, and you can tell like if it's going to be a magic story or if yeah, and so you can, you can tell bits. But I I pick up big batches of books and I read blurbs and then based on the blurb, blurbs I make my selection. But then there are certain books I just know I'm going to read. And if I just know I'm going to read a book, then I don't read the blurb. So the entire story is like a is a, is a surprise. Um, I knew I was going to read this book because M.R. Carey is also Mike Carey. So he's Mike Carey with a hat on, as Ed says. In disguise. In disguise. Stealth Mike Carey. Um, but because it's... And the reason I, I just... One day, just, it came up on my feed of, like, interesting books... And I was like, M.R. Carey, oh, like Mike Carey. Is it Mike Carey? <laughs> and just Googled it. Um, but Mike Carey wrote um, the Lucifer series of graphic novels, which is a spin-off series from um, the Sandman graphic novels by um, Neil Gaiman. Um, I really love the Lucifer graphics, so I was very intrigued as to how Mike Carey would translate as a novelist. But then I found out that actually he has written other novels and I just wasn't aware of them. Um, but this is Mike Carey on his own. Because yeah. When he wrote The City of Salt and Steel, it was with uh, the rest of the family. It was a family adventure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so this is kind of him on his little, kind of on, on his Todd writing a book. Um, and it, it 
in terms of writing, it absolutely holds up. There were certain aspects where it was like you can kind of tell that it's been written by someone who writes graphics um, just because certain things were delivered like a picture was being built, um, which is kind of part of, of graphic script writing. Um, and then certain aspects of dialogue were delivered the way that you'd see them um, in a graphic. But aside from like odd little bits from that, it was... It was. It's an absolutely amazing book, and it's an absolutely amazing story. Um, on the very first page, um, the very first page comes from a little girl called Melanie, and it starts basically along the lines of "Hello, my name is Melanie," and she tells us that she Melanie means this. I don't like the name, but it was the next one on the list, so that's the one I got. And automatically, you're like, "Why does your name come off a list?" Why was it the next one on the list? Like you, you're you're already within a few lines, just fully aware that obviously this little girl probably isn't the same little girl that I was when I was little. Some, something is different about her, and just even from from that, we're already being delivered the story. Um, and then we find out that Melanie wakes up every day, and two men come in her room, one to point a gun at her, and one to tie her into her chair, and then she gets wheeled to a classroom with all the all the other children also in the, tied to their wheelchairs and then they let go of their right left um, their right wrist restraint so that they can write down their lessons and they have their lessons it's a different teacher every day and then they get wheeled back to their rooms two men come in one so they can point a gun at them one so that they can untie them from their chairs and they do that every day and they get fed once a week when some grubs get put on their bowls and they get to eat their grubs and they have a chemical shower and we basically find out as I'm going along this little girl is growing up in a military compound because the world um, has died we've encountered an apocalypse and um, people there's a few people left in the world but most people are hungries as they're termed and I think it's a lovely new term essentially for zombies because they are just they are just hunger that is what they are. There is no person left. They are just cravings that can walk. And um, it's really interesting. And it is and it is actually, it's a really good thriller. It comes from the points of view of kind of several people throughout, but some people don't actually get a point of view until quite far in um, because then the, the story just expands. An event occurs and it becomes a very different story. I thought we were going to get a story just about kind of the psychology of being a little girl in a compound having a very interesting and very diff different life um, but no yeah there is an event then so the story changes um, and then the story becomes about Melanie one of her teachers the scientist who runs the compound that Melanie and the teacher don't like one of the military men kind of the, who's pretty much the head of the, the military aspect of that compound um, and one just little foot soldier who's a bit out of his depth but ultimately what there's 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 no other kind of part of life really if you grow up in that world you you go into the military pretty much um and it's it's it becomes their story but ultimately it is all about this little girl and the reason it's called the girl with all the gifts is um one of her teachers goes through stories with them and she she likes to do a lot of greek mythology and greek mythology is melanie's favorite um, and Pandora means the girl with all the gifts. And Pandora and Pandora's box is Melanie's favourite favorite story. Um, it's one of those really wonderful ones where the language 
and it's not even that it's like in your face I noticed this change it actually took me a while to notice it depending on whose story we're kind of whose point of view we're currently in the language in the book is completely different so when it's Melanie's story it's child sentences and child's words Um, later on obviously she as she develops in the story the, the language develops with her um, but one of the, the other things that I really loved about it and one of the reasons why it actually became quite a scary book for me is the reason why Hungries exist is actually something I've been a bit concerned about for a little bit um, and is based on a scientific discovery from a couple of years ago and so you know when your head just goes oh but that's an actual thing that might happen one day that's the best Yay. thing <laughs> yeah and it's it's so so good um, and it's one of those stories where it's a human story um, but outside of a kind of a, a human world almost um, and it's it's all about relationships and getting us to question relationships and question the things that we know um, and kind of that whole, whole idea of like your, you, your opinions about people can change like change how you feel about someone um, because we we know how we feel about certain characters um and then so you spend some of the story just going oh just open your eyes and look at it like this um and we you you're willing the characters to feel the same way about other characters that you do um as like we go on this kind of like big journey through the story um yeah it's it's really good it wasn't just another zombie story it because it wasn't because it wasn't just about oh, we need to survive and zombies are scary. And it took me to places I wasn't expecting to be taken. It took me there in ways I wasn't expecting to be taken there. Um, it moved me using um, using kind of devices that I wouldn't normally expect to be used to create emotion. Um, and yeah, I kind of... I developed a real attachment to the five characters. Well, say five, there's one of them that just... it doesn't. Ultimately, it gets to the point where it doesn't matter what that character does, you're never going to like him. Um, but I still, I had an attachment to the character and part of you will always go, you know what, if this happened, if this was real everything that character's doing is justified it's just because I know this character and this character that I'm that I'm unhappy with what's that, happening that's a mark of a really good character development though where you don't like the character but you you appreciate them for what they are absolutely and um, I think one of the reasons why I also kind of the, one of the things that led me to respect the character is they absolutely hold to their guns I actually think I'd be I'd be upset if all of a sudden they were like oh no I don't think like that anymore because it, that would just it, I think it would just break it all and I think it would, there's a certain courage in sticking to your guns and just keeping a character unlikable but to an extent it is that the thing you you don't like them for that is where the respect comes from um, and the fact that yeah that, that character is necessary in the story but in, in the event and in the situation everything they're doing is necessary as well and it's just a shame because you know that yeah if this was real life absolutely everyone would would be siding with them it's just because i know what i know that i'm i'm sad but yeah it's a, an absolutely fantastic story i genuinely recommend it even if you're not really into thrillers 
I'd recommend it. There are a couple of bits. There's no, not so much gory. There's a couple of bits that kind of an unexpected thing will shock you, but it tends to be just like a sentence, and then the sentence after that is kind of okay. Similar to like how Ben Aron Ben Aron 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 it can be that, but sometimes it can be, like, that sort of shock, but for disgust. Um, but wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Recommend. And actually, um, I think if anyone's trying to think of interesting um, Christmas presents... Yeah, I said it. Said, said the C word. Um, I think it's quite a good one. If they're into sci-fi, if they're into zombie stories, or if they're just general thrillers... Um, it ticks many, many boxes. So what's it called? Who's it by? Where can I get it? It's called The Girl With All The Gifts by M.R. Carey. Um, and you should be able to get it in most bookshops, to be honest. It's been really popular. I know um, I know it has been part of the Waterstones Book Club. And generally, the Waterstones Book Clubs tend to be stories that are readily available. the world the real alternative fabradiointernational.com <clears throat> so one of the things i found when i was reading the invisible library one of the things that i found fascinating is why are we fascinated with libraries in general? Because you have you, you have L space, you have the Unseen University Library, the Invisible Library. You have it, it's almost kind of like because you don't really get that in movies. You don't get movies about movie studios. Um, Occasionally, do. There's, there's, there's a handful of video games that are about developing video games. It, you, you know, there's there's not many comic books that are set in the comic book publishing world. Uh, there are books that are set in the comic book publishing world, but not many comic books. Um, but you do get quite a few novels that are all about the love of books. I mean, you know, Matilda is the, the oh, one. Oh, Matilda! The so one that. Much. Um, there's a there's a oh, I can't remember the name of the novel, but there's great there's a great urban fantasy one where the entire library is controlled by these horribly banal kind of little old lady monsters. <laughs> And and the, the, you go in to the kids go in to kind of like raid to get books and then to run away because because the old lady monsters will try and stop them from reading. Oh. And it's, it's, it's all essentially it's normal library just with some really nasty librarians told from a kid's perspective. Oh. Uh, I can't for the life of me remember that's from. Um, but welcome to Nightville, of course. Oh yeah. Do, do the whole thing with the, the librarians mm. and it's like librarians are these horrible slippery monsters we're saying horrible things about librarians if you are a librarian and you want to get angry the, at the, the, the thing, I think the reason we're fascinated by them is is summed up by what one of the boroughs in East London now calls its libraries which is they're not called libraries they're called the ideas store and I think that's the point. Yeah, there's a sort of certain kind of haunting beauty to any idea, any idea and kind of concept of library. Um, like the uh, Silence in in the Library, the Doctor Who episode, the mm. two-parter, that story I don't think would be as powerful if they were in a museum. 
or if they like anything like that it's it's the fact that it's a library I think that helps make that story what it is and it's it, a very very powerful one it's totally worth the risk uh, I keep uh, watching that story it's like yeah okay you've given that to the National Nevada no oh, it's worth the risk <laughs> <laughs> quick let's uh, uh, the thing I love about that is the fact, the implication that all the books are special editions published by that library and it's a planet yeah it's a planet it's, it's like the British Library on acid. <laughs> that would be really bad for the books, surely. But they are John Ryland's, um, the the big beautiful library in um, on Deansgate in Manchester. Um, I think it was a bit just a bit after that episode came out. They had like a silence in the library evening, and you could go and sit in the dark in John Ryland's watch watch the two library episodes and then they took you on like a dark tour and yeah and I was like can you imagine just how amazing and terrifying and phenomenal and just just it would be too much but it was oh it was so excited by the concept but the tickets just went they just disappeared because because that is a brilliant idea it's a brilliant idea I think there's also that thing where you have if, if you've been to like a proper archive building where there are the stacks. One of the things that I always, I just, I, every time it always sends shivers up my spine, is the si- sound of the stack machine. Yeah. Because because obviously the, they're mechanical shelves, and to save space, they're all stacked up against each other. So you press a button and you kind of you roll around so you have one lane so you can get into the stacks. Mm-hmm. And you have to lock it off. Obviously, because if someone else doesn't know you're in there and they press the button, you'll get crushed to death. Hey, but they they don't have they don't have that in the new Manchester Central Library. They have a little sign that says "Please check." Please check (laughs) before you crush somebody's death. We used to race them at uni because there was a button at the bottom that you pressed, and then a button at the top that you pressed, so that you didn't ever crush anyone. Because ultimately, unless both buttons had been pressed, they wouldn't move. Um, and we used to basically stand so one of you would stand at the back with the button against the wall and someone else would stand at the top at the opening of the stack and you'd press your button they'd press their button and you'd have to run and it'd be like who can make it <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> it was so much fun the, the periodicals have never seen such action yeah, no, no. <laughs> this, is, this is irresponsible behaviour people and we would not encourage it oh yeah I'm not condoning it <laughs> but members of Keele University if some sort of horror creature lurks out the books and you have to run, press the button, and flee. Yeah. Because um, it probably won't get squashed and you'll get killed anyway, but never mind, that'll be fun. Um, be, and talking about fleeing, I think we should do something very similar. <laughs> goodbye, I've been Ed Fortune, and I've been talking to you about books, so it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me, Del, also talking to you about books. The Bookworm is a truly outrageous production for Fab, Radio International and Starburst magazine. Presented by Ed Fortune and Rebecca Derrick. Produced by A.L. Johnson.